From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Welcome once again to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns will continue this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled, Nothing Old. The text is Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Glory be to his name. All things need making new, for they are sadly battered and worn by sin. It is time that the old vesture was rolled up and laid aside, and that creation put on her Sunday suit. But no one else can make all things new, except the Lord who made them at the first. For it needs as much power to make out of evil as to make out of nothing. Our Lord Jesus has undertaken the task, and He is fully competent for the performance of it. Already He has commenced His labor, and for centuries he has persevered in making new the hearts of men and the order of society. By and by he will make new the whole constitution of human government, and human nature shall be changed by his grace. And there shall come a day when the body shall be made new, and raised like unto his glorious body. What a joy to belong to a kingdom in which everything is being made new by the power of its king. We are not dying out. We are hastening on to a more glorious life. Despite the opposition of the powers of evil, our glorious Lord Jesus is accomplishing his purpose and making us and all things about us new and as full of beauty as when they first came from the hand of the Lord.
to assist you in meditating upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, Let the Bible Speak is happy to offer a unique publication called The Twelve Days of Christmas. Written by Roger Ellsworth, an experienced minister and writer, The Twelve Days of Christmas is a small paperback book containing 24 devotions, each including a short scripture reading, several paragraphs, and a concluding to-think-about section that draws lines of application from the text to modern-day life. The book is intended to help the hearts and minds of believers to focus upon the wonder of the Incarnation, as well as to encourage unbelievers to come in repentance and faith to Christ. Let the Bible Speak is happy to make this booklet available free of charge to our listening audience. You may have a copy simply by contacting us by phone, email, or regular mail. You may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. Or you may simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. We encourage you to request your free copy of The Twelve Days of Christmas. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Karens will bring the next portion of a message called Christ and the Holy Family. In our text, Mark chapter 3, we find the Lord Jesus teaching the multitudes who gathered around him. At some point, his mother and his brethren came and wanted him to come out to them. Their motivation was to convince him to stop what he was doing, for in their mind he was mad. These brethren were his brothers and sisters whom Mary had borne after Christ's birth. Although there is no biblical record of Christ's childhood, aside from the temple experience when he was twelve, one can only imagine what it must have been like for his siblings to grow up with one who never sinned. Their attitude toward the Lord Jesus reflects the unsaved person's reaction to holiness. It makes them uncomfortable and arouses resentment. According to the biblical account, 
Christ's siblings hated him. Nor was Mary immune to this. As is the case with all sinners, spiritual blindness prevents them from seeing Christ for who he really is. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message, Christ and the Holy Family. What does it mean for him as the man, as the child, to be coming into that full knowledge, consciousness, and experience of fully his personant mission? And I have to tell you, I don't know. And neither does anybody else. It is in goodness that God draws a veil over that. We do know that at 12 years of age, he he knew he had to be about his father's business. We do know that. We do know that at 12 years of age, he went up to the temple. I've told you before, and I was fascinated when this was drawn to our attention. And a very learned Jewish guide pointed out to us that uh, Jewish boys then went up to the temple first at 13. They went up at 12 if they had lost or had no father. And he said, of course, this is evidence that Joseph, I said, you need to read again because Joseph and Mary were looking for him. Just one of those little unspoken but so eloquent facts of life that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus went up to the temple at 12, fully cognizant at that time that he must be about his father's business. But even then the veil is redrawn, and that family life as it developed is something that is hidden from us, that there were other children I think we can be assured from Matthew chapter 1, Joseph knew not Mary until she had brought forth Jesus. And from this passage here, and from the statement in John chapter 7, that his brethren even didn't believe in him, and from the description of James as the brother of Jesus, I know that that is a term that can be used more expansively, but the reality is, for example, when John Mark is being set down as the relative of Barnabas, you can see that the Scripture has the words to give that relationship very particularly. didn't say just he was one of the brethren. He was able to give it particularly. And I think when we have the brother of Jesus, then we can say there were other children born into that home and the family developed. Other than that, we don't know much except that the Lord Jesus lived there, subjected himself to the will of Joseph and of Mary, and lived sinlessly, growing in wisdom and favor with God and man until his public ministry commenced. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a sinner living in the home with a sinless person? That's not a flippant question. 
I'm going out on a limb here. No less an authority than J.C. Ryle talking about these people coming uh, to the Lord Jesus at this time says, no doubt they loved him. I think that would be true of Mary. I'm not absolutely sure that it would be true of the others. And I say that because go back into the Old Testament. And though Dr. Barrett and I have had a running debate about this for many years, this is one case where he's wrong and I'm right. Whether Joseph is a type of Christ or not, I believe Joseph is an outstanding type of Christ. But look into that family. Joseph was not absolutely sinless. But Joseph is one of those people who is so pure and upright and holy, uh, a young man of conscience and of consistency, that the Bible really does not lay any moral charge against him. Now, he's not sinless, but his level of holiness is so far in advance of the rest of the family that they must have thought he was sinless. Now, what was their reaction? They hated him for the very fact of his holiness. They hated him. Now, I'm not equating for a moment, for I have no evidence to do so, the brethren of the Lord Jesus morally with the brethren of Joseph. But I'm simply saying when sinners are brought into the presence of superior holiness, it rankles them. There is that within all of us, and you have felt it yourself, even when you're not in the presence of sinlessness. I mean, just uh, be honest with yourself. Your wife or your husband, or your mother or your father, are right in something, and they, their very rightness sometimes gets under your skin, and it makes you react. Then you've got to go and apologize. At least if you're wise, you'll apologize. There's something in sinners that when they come up against sinlessness, it just gets them all riled up because they feel the condemnation. I remember my sister telling me this years ago, and I mean, I, I could believe it. She was married to the most saintly man that any woman ever had. Not only saintly, but crazy. Because he worshipped the ground she walked on to the day he died at almost 80 years of age. And we would keep Betty going. Anybody who would worship the ground she'd walk on had to be crazy. But anyway, we'll not get into that. She lost out with God. There was a period where she was nowhere spiritually. She could, and this is her own testimony, she was nowhere spiritually. And she told me when I would come home and see George, it stirred something in me. And she would be sarcastic or bitter or all the more rebellious until she got right with God. There's nothing unusual about that. That's the way human nature usually works. That defensive attitude. So just imagine yourself living then in the house with the sinless Lord Jesus Christ. He never says a thing wrong. 
He never does a thing wrong. He never has a wrong attitude. There's never anything other than what it ought to be, absolutely perfect. And you find yourself going mad with anger, resentment, and bitterness. I think, and I stand to be corrected here, but I think that's much more likely the dynamic that lies behind the brethren here than love and solicitous concern. They get Mary to come along because it would appear that Mary, trustful as she was at the time of the virgin birth, pondering these things in her heart, having had such a revelation from God, yet in the course of the years, and we ought to remember that though we only turn over a page or two of the Bible, 30 years have gone by since the birth of the Lord Jesus. And which of us in 30 years has not had memory dim or spirituality grow cold or the fire burn low? We should be able to understand her here. One way or another, she comes along also somewhat unbelieving. And they get together to hinder and to stop the work of Christ and even go so far in the presence of witnesses to denounce him as mad. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. I think that it's a foolish thing, as many commentators do, to try and excuse Mary from this, that somehow or other uh, this was the sentiment only of the others. There's not a word that Mary intervened. There's not a word that Mary said or did anything to discourage them. She was one of them there calling, come out, come out and stop. This is madness. He's beside himself. What I'm trying to show you is, despite all the advantages, despite having, in Mary's case, the Word of God, the promise of God, the assurance of who this was, besides having had the prophecy of, the prophecy of Elizabeth, despite what Zacharias had said, despite what John the Baptist had said, despite all these things, despite the evidences that had come through from the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, despite 30 years of personal experience of watching and pondering his absolute perfection, she and the others branded themselves certainly as not the Holy Family, at least not on the basis of their blood relationship. It's not that the Lord Jesus didn't love them. I think that would be an insult to him and a travesty of Scripture. I think the evidence is he did love them. Mary was undoubtedly a holy and godly and blessed woman and was undoubtedly a saintly soul. You see the Lord Jesus at Calvary and his care for her You'll see how much he loved her. And as for the others, some of them, in fact, I would say all of them, did later come into the family of God. They were at the moment confused. And at this stage, ignorant of who he was and 
what his mission was. And so they opposed him. Now, when you look at that, I think that scene gives a deep insight, a new insight into the words of John 1, verse 11. He came to his own. The idea is his own place. And his own people received him not. He came to his own place. He came home. That's the idea. He came home to the place where he ought to have been received and recognized. And his own people received him not. Now, that's certainly true of the Jewish nation as a whole, but it is poignantly and pointedly true here of the immediate blood relations of Mary and his brethren. You stop and think of that for a moment, and you'll see the depths of human depravity and blindness. Blindness. Did ever you have a better commentary than this on the words of Isaiah? When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Blindness. Some people think, if only I could say better words, if only I could get the right scripture, if only I had the right answer, if only I had a better attitude or a sweeter smile or a nicer disposition when I witnessed to that sinner or that loved one, surely I could make them see. We were singing this morning about salvation being of God. Here's one reason it has to be, for if it's not, we'll all be damned. The Lord Jesus lived before these people with the sinless beauty of heaven about him. And they didn't recognize him. They thought him mad. And blindness shows you the insanity of sin. And I use that word carefully. The utter, absolute insanity of sin. Here they could look at God manifested in the flesh. And here he has come to the full exercise of his powers and the full demonstration of his glory through his works. He says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Believe me, at least for the work's sake. Look at what I'm doing. Who else has given sight to the blind? Who else has with a word made the lame to walk? Who else has unplugged the ears of the deaf? Who else has spoken and the dead have lived? Believe me. And yet, such is the insanity of sin that they could look at wisdom incarnate and say, this is madness. This is madness. What depravity. Total depravity. Every faculty so depraved as to reject the revealed Son of God. The depths of human depravity and blindness.
been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 